What does it mean for the boundaries of the kingdom to expand? What does it mean for, for where Jesus reigns to, to reach more places and, and to expand more inside of people? And what that means is it's really invested in this whole idea of disciple-making. You know, when Jesus told us, taught us how to pray, the first request of intercessory request we make of the Father is, you know, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. How does his kingdom come? His kingdom come, comes through his will being done on earth as it is in heaven. How does that happen? Go make disciples. That's how it happens. Hey friends, welcome to the 1000 Houses podcast where we encourage and equip households to make disciples in and through the home. Every episode you'll hear interviews, teachings, and conversations around what it looks like to turn your home into a hub for mission, community, and discipleship. So today's episode was taken from one of our coaching intensives called Life on Life Discipleship, where we provide you with personal coaching and equipping on your journey to taking on apprentices to multiply disciples. So to learn more about this coaching intensive, visit 1kh.org slash discipleship. If you're interested in learning more about a thousand houses in general and want to check out some of our other resources, head on over to 1kh.org. Let's jump into today's episode. I know that any time that I embark on a long journey that's going to take a lot of effort, I really need to understand why. I need to, as clearly as I can, be able to articulate why this is so important because that's where so much of the motivation comes from when the going gets tough. So I want us to take some time and just sort of like consider what are the reasons for disciple making? Why make disciples? And I'm going to count down for you guys, for me, the top five reasons in reverse order. They're going to, we're going to go from five all the way down to one, the number one reason, in my opinion, why we make disciples. So I'll go ahead and uh, give these to you guys now, and then we're going to kind of break them down. So number five is disciple making is the best strategy. Number four, disciple making is an essential part of how people are saved. Number three, Jesus commands us to make disciples. Number two, disciple making is, expands the kingdom of God. And number one, Jesus is worthy of the obedience of the nations. So let's talk through these. So number five, these are all for me super valuable reasons. Any one of these reasons I think is reason enough to give your life to this mission and to believe that it is the crucial mission of the kingdom. But all five of these together for me make such a profound impact. So number five, disciple making is the best strategy. So multiplication strategies are simply superior to addition, addition strategies. Um, and that's not hard. That's not a controversial statement, you know, amongst church leaders or people that are in ministry positions. But yet 99% of our current efforts, at least in this culture, are designed around addition strategies. And the difference is you can actually tell the difference. You can look at a strategy and see, does, is this going to naturally multiply? Is this going to ex expand? You know, if we put... 10 years from now, can we see the exponential impact of this ministry? Or is it going to simply create addition over time? Um, and so it's really easy just to look at the way something's designed and tell, is it a multiplication strategy in an addition, or an addition strategy? And the vast majority of our efforts in ministry, like I said, I think at least 99% are really clearly addition strategies, not multiplication strategies. And so we have to really wrestle with, do we believe that, that multiplication strategies are better? And discipleship is a multiplication strategy. Um, and so if that's the case, you know, what's going on there? There's, there's a lot of tension that I think we feel around 
the difference between these two things. One really looks amazing, um, and I think this causes people to actually abandon multiplication strategies because addition strategies in the short term actually look really attractive. For example, um, imagine an evangelist is extremely gifted, and every single day of his life, when he shares the gospel, he sees a brand new believer come to, come to faith. That's 365 new believers every single year. If this evangelist persists in this effort for, let's say, 32 years, that evangelist will reach 11,000 people for the kingdom. That's amazing. So one person a year, 32 years, 11,000. Now imagine a disciple maker uh, says, okay, I'm going to make disciples, and I'm going to make two just two disciples a year that make disciples. That's it, two. So, of course, after year number one, Evangelist has 365 new believers in the kingdom, and Mr. Disciple Maker has only two new disciples who make disciples. But, of course, that's where the addition versus multiplication looks so different. In 32 years, the Disciple Maker will have made over 5 billion disciples, whereas the Evangelist has that 11,000 people that have come to faith. And so it's not hard once you do the math that the, these sort of exponential strategies are so much more, so much, so much superior to addition strategies. Uh, but the problem is they take time. They go slow at first. They look like they're going nowhere at first. And so oftentimes we want to, we gravitate just naturally towards those things that have that bigger short-term impact versus the massive exponential long-term impact. And so I always want to go back to Genesis 1, God gave us a multiplication strategy to fill the earth. An addition strategy would not have accomplished the Genesis 1 mandate, Genesis 1.26. And so when that was remixed and re-given to us in Matthew 28 by Jesus to go and make disciples of all nations, he again gave us a multiplication mandate. And so it's really important to understand this: the multiplication strategies are always going to be superior to addition strategies. So we have to, we have to distinguish the two from each other. Okay, uh, reason number four. Disciple-making is an essential part of how people are saved. One of the things that's really challenging is that we've decided to use in English this one word, saved, and oftentimes we assign it only to the process of somebody coming into the kingdom for the first time. But Paul was much more nuanced about the way he used the word saved. He had, he had a bunch of different words he used to describe the different, different elements of salvation. So that kind of salvation coming, going from death to life, you know, Paul called justification, the process of becoming somebody who is prepared for the kingdom of God, a son or daughter of the kingdom, he called sanctification, and then entering into the fullness of what that means with our new heavenly bodies into the new Jerusalem, into the kingdom of God, ultimately he called glorification. And all of that was the process of salvation. That's why sometimes he would talk about you are being saved, which is a verb or a way of using the word saved oftentimes that we're a little uncomfortable with because, again, we like to assign the idea of salvation to just that first step in the process. But this kind of thinking really has caused a lot of problems with the understanding that our mission is to make disciples. We will then begin to default to, well, I guess the mission is just to get people saved. If the mission is to get people saved, then the, the mission is to make disciples. Again, salvation really encompasses all of the process. It doesn't just encompass justification. It also involves sanctification. And so if you want to see somebody get victory over sin and become increasingly more and more a son or daughter of the kingdom, then you need to invest in disciple-making. And that is a part of what they are inheriting by, by entering into and, and receiving their salvation. And so we're robbing from people the fruit of salvation, it, a lot of its elements, when we just focus on the first step 
of salvation and not and we don't think about the whole thing. So oftentimes, this I've, I've seen this, the analogy is it's sort of like giving birth to a baby and then walking away and not actually raising the child. Um, if we saw that happening in modern days, we would be very concerned with that kind of thinking, that kind of <clears throat> behavior on the part of parents. But <clears throat> it's really important that we embrace the whole process of disciple making and not just stick with uh, having babies. Okay, number three, Jesus commanded it. This is so important that, that in the bedrock of the way that we think about how we live out our lives as Christians and as disciples, we're thinking about obeying Jesus. And he commanded us in Matthew 28 to go and make disciples. And so when we say a very basic thing like Jesus is Lord, we're saying <clears throat> we're going to obey you, Jesus, no matter what. Our lives now belong to you. Um, and so, but this is very confusing when we make those confessions and we don't follow through on the basic things that Jesus tells us to do. Jesus said in Luke 6, 46, he turned to his disciples at one point and he says, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and don't do what I say? Yeah, in John 14, right before he went to the cross, he, he looked at his, his disciples and he said, if you love me, you will obey my commandments. And so it's really important that part of the why, the foundation for why we make disciples, isn't just the strategy, it's a great strategy, um, or isn't just the effect on others. But sometimes we just need to trust in our Lord and trust in the process of saying we want to obey Jesus. We want to love Jesus for what he's done for us in the gospel through our obedience. And so he's told us to go make disciples. And regardless sometimes of whether or not I feel like it or whether or not I believe in it today with the same passion I did yesterday or, or might tomorrow, I'm going to follow Jesus. That's what I've decided to do when I made the confession that he's Lord. Number two, disciple making expands the kingdom. So we live in a part of the story in which the kingdom of God is expanding with power. And Jesus came uh, announcing a gospel of the kingdom. And what does that practically look like? What does it mean for the boundaries of the kingdom to expand? What does it mean for, for where Jesus reigns to, to reach more places and, and to expand more inside of people? And what that means is it's really invested in this whole idea of disciple-making. You know, when Jesus told, taught us how to pray, the first request of intercessory request we make of the Father is, you know, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. How does his kingdom come? His kingdom come, comes through his will being done on earth as it is in heaven. How does that happen? Go make disciples. That's how it happens. When people begin to be trained in the process of obeying Jesus, his kingdom expands. His kingdom expands in their home, in their heart, in their family, in their workplace, everywhere. That is how the kingdom expands in this part of the story. This is our basic assignment in where we live. And so it's really important to understand that if you care about seeking first the kingdom of God, then you need to make disciples. There's not a better way for us to activate the expansion of the kingdom than through the making of disciples. Um, and then the, the number one reason uh, for making disciples I like to just phrase as Jesus is worthy of the obedience of the nations. There is no better person for the nations to follow than Jesus himself. Every person is in desperate need in their lives and whatever they're endeavoring into, they need to obey Jesus. And he alone is worthy of their obedience because of who he is. And th this, uh, this prophecy was, was really prophesied about the Messiah all the way back in Genesis 49. So Jacob was blessing his 12 sons and prophesying over them in Genesis 49. And when he got to Judah, he said something really interesting. He said, the scepter will not depart from, from, from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet until 
he comes to whom it belongs, and to him belongs the obedience of the nations. That there's going to be this ruling that's going to expand over time, and this belongs to him. So it's one thing to say that it's great for us to see the kingdom of God expand. It's another thing to say that he, he alone is worthy of the obedience of the nations. So part of this is just being jealous for your king to the fact that people are disobeying him. People are rebelling against him. We're living in a, in a place of active rebellion. If you were in a family and you had an incredibly loving father, that you just you said, man, he's worthy of our, of our obedience, and you had a sibling who refused to obey the father and wanted nothing to do with them and just constantly uh, rebelled and constantly was trying to overthrow the father, you would say, look, look whatever you might have some good ideas, but, but he's worthy of our obedience. He's the father, and he's a loving father. And, and so we need to have that kind of relationship with Jesus, like that we get jealous for his kingdom and his rulership over the nations because he's worthy of the obedience of the nations as uh, Jacob prophesied over Judah in Genesis 49. So I like that as being kind of the, the absolute number one reason because, because when all the other ones maybe I lose sight of, I really try to zero in on that one because it centers everything on Jesus and who he is, his identity, not my identity, and not even what works, but on the reality of, of who he is. And so I want you guys to think about these five that, that uh, we described here. Disciple-making is the best strategy. Disciple-making is, is an essential part of how people are saved. Jesus commands us to make disciples. Uh, Disciple-making expands the kingdom of God, and Jesus alone is worthy of the obedience of the nations. Um, so think about that. I'd love for you to take some time and really process, like, of these five, like, which ones do you really find yourself believing? Maybe on a scale of one to ten, like, like how much do you, do you, are you really motivated? How much do you sense your heart really gravitating towards that reason? Because, again, we need to clarify and be very committed to the why behind disciple-making before we get into a lot of the how. So take some time to kind of journal through how you feel about each one of these different uh, elements of the reasons why and which ones of these are really motivating to you, which beliefs might be obstacles to, to really trusting and relying on those whys as we go into these hows. Well, friends, thanks for listening to today's episode. If you have a deep desire to actually make disciples in your context, but you simply don't know how, we'd love to invite you to apply for our coaching intensive called Life on Life Discipleship, where you're going to work through online content and receive personal coaching on this journey to making disciples that multiply. So for more information and to apply for this coaching, head over to 1kh.org slash discipleship. We'll see you for the next episode.